Let's talk about skills, baby. Woo! So exciting. <laughs> Each week, I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills they developed, how, or the skills that make them successful, how they developed those skills, and their innovative approaches to skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Come learn what skills help you live your best life. So today I am so excited because oh, we're, we're hearing the live as it goes up on my screen. So, <laughs> uh, But here today I am joined by Jay and Jay, the only question I didn't ask you before we went live was I wanted to make sure that I pronounced your last name correctly and I completely forgot to ask. Is it Deshmukh? Close, Deshmukh. Deshmukh. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> but um, you guys, Jay is an award-winning architect with over 20 years of experience. She is recognized for thought leadership and design excellence in institutional architecture of varied scales in Canada and overseas. She leads the design, strategic thinking, and planning for educational, civic, and healthcare projects and engages meaningfully with clients, stakeholders, and authorities to define and implement the strategic vision of the project through place-centric design. She has experience in both design and project management for new and existing structures of varied typologies, scales, and complexity. She is deeply engaged in the arts and design community in Toronto as a member of the Board of Trustees at the Textile Museum of Canada and as a frequent guest critic and lecturer at design schools. Jay, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. It is my pleasure. I am really excited to dig in to the research that you've done on the post-pandemic college campus. I think this is just such an amazing topic and the points that you brought up were so fascinating. Um, but before we dive in there, like tell, I know I kind of gave these wonderful highlights, but tell us a little bit about you. How did you end up at IBI Group where you are now? How did you end up in Toronto? <laughs> these are good questions. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Bombay in India where I, you know, studied architecture, uh, mm -hmm. and I studied architecture because it was a confluence of art and design and, you know, to the topic we're going to discuss left and right brain. Um, and so I did my original undergraduate degree there and went to the United States for graduate school, actually in North Carolina. Um, and honestly thought I was going to be there for a couple of years. <laughs> I will not declare how long it's been. <laughs> it's definitely been a long time. Um, and I focused on design research, actually. So uh, the strange thing is that I've sort of come back to doing deeper design research all these years later, partly because of the participatory design model that I was exposed to uh, there in North Carolina. I lived and worked there and then New York City. And just, you know, some of it is circumstantial. The firms I worked for were deeply engaged in the community and were very frequently working with K through 12 and higher education. Mm -hmm. And I discovered that that's really where my heart lay, this kind of public structures, this notion that, you know, architecture has the power to shape life and that you're co-creating with people who are gonna actually use the spaces, you know, sort of beyond the gorgeous photographs that I have to say as an architect, I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> After that, you know, sort of life is going to be framed in the spaces that we co-create together. And so that's where I stayed. So I lived and worked in New York City um, for a while before moving to uh, Toronto, partly because I followed the, the, 
the person in my personal life. So that's what brought me to Canada. And I've been, um, again, continuing to live and work here um, in very similar firms. Um, IBI Group is a large firm that I've been with um, that really brings design and technology together. So that's what's been interesting. I'm part of a group called uh, the Global Learning Studio. Mm -hmm. um, and we have colleagues in multiple places around the world, really, but more in uh, the US, Canada, and the UK. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're discussing our projects from K through 12 through higher education at this moment more than ever. Of so, course. But that's the sort of synopsis of, of where I'm at. Definitely. And I know we talked a lot about this, well, for the few minutes before we went live, but just this combination of design and technology. And actually, that was the, the, the piece that I kept thinking about as I was reading your article was that it, it was just this, comp what you're discussing really is this combination, this diversity of thought, like this whole maybe other way than the traditional way we've been thinking of in terms of the college or university experience that I found really fascinating. It just got my wheels turning a lot as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, what the biggest thing that one is learning is that, I, and I think this has been discussed by many people about the pandemic, that several trends that were already in play mm -hmm. are getting accelerated, right? No matter what field one is talking about or what space. And I think the biggest thing for us to sort of take from, from the standpoint of what we're discussing is that the technology is an enabler, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, yes, it's certainly now becoming even more of a determinant of success, but it's an enabler. And to go back to the word design, you actually have to design the hybrid experience. Right. So it's the same manner and the same care that, you know, over generations we have taken around, you know, creating space. And sort of, if I can go back to the architecture credo, um, there's a line from uh, Malaguzzi, who was related to the Montessori movement, who speaks mm -hmm. about the environment as the third teacher. Mm -hmm. And, okay. you know, so, you know, architects live by this credo, this notion mm -hmm. that, that we are part of that learning journey and that we're either fostering or at worst hindering. Right. Um, you know, how, how an interaction takes place and therefore the kind of learning outcome. So if we translate that now to kind of the hybrid discussion that's being had at most campuses around the world, then you're also talking about virtual space. So you can have, you'd actually have to think about the virtual environment um, and we have to sort of really go, go deeper into it, right? And, and um, how to design it, so to speak. Well, and here's something I just thought of when you said that too. I was like, first of all, I was initially thinking of the virtual environment, meaning like the environment of you being at school virtually and making sure that you're really getting a lot out of that. But then do they have to also go a step further and almost like think forward to where that person is actually physically yeah. in their virtual environment? Because that's the thing I think of, you know, like we're, you know, my children, actually the three of them right now are in virtual school at home. Yeah. We live in New Jersey. That's just the situation we're in here with COVID. Um, mm -hmm. but the interesting thing is, you know, they were sending out all these messages at the beginning of the school year, make sure your child has a desk and a quiet room mm -hmm. and, you know, all of these things that I'm thinking, I mean, we're in a fortunate situation, but listen, I've got, thank goodness yeah. I have one room with a door closed. And actually this happened after COVID because I didn't need that before because I was traveling most of the time. And my, I have two children that have their own rooms. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, like I didn't have these gorgeous desk. I didn't have, and, and I'm, I've got a kindergartner, like yeah. going virtual, my husband's yeah. working from home. I was like, wait, I mean, they didn't want the kids going to school from their bed. 
And I'm like, okay, I appreciate that. But like, that requires a lot of things to get in order for you to be physically in a space where, and, and, and then again, right. This is the thing. I I think of this because I have a daughter that has, you know, I don't even call, I know the school calls it learning disabilities. I don't call it that. I Mm -hmm. call it the gift of dyslexia, but here's the thing. She has like other things that are going on, like sensory stuff for her to sit still in a desk. She can't learn. Yeah. So she needs to be like bouncing on the ball. She, she's fine in the bed, but Mm -hmm. they want, you know, they're Mm -hmm. asking these. So anyway, that was a really long winded thing to say, but I, but my point being that like, are you guys having to think forward in this oh, 100%. environment to where the student actually is? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, the, 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 the paper that, you, that you're referencing was done in the spring. So when I was talking to people in May and June, everybody was effectively calling it Band-Aid education, right? Everybody was sort of like, here we are, we're triaging, we're going to do what we need to do to get through the semester and, you know, can't wait for fall, right? It didn't matter who I spoke to, you know, and I spoke to almost 50 people in 12 countries, but everyone simply wanted to go back, right? And we haven't. So there are a few countries who are doing a little better, but you know, in general, we haven't. And so what I'm now finding, and I'm I'm sort of back in research mode speaking to people, is that what we have done is we've taken away that collective experience, right? So the thing that we were all just taking for granted that the classroom, and it was an in-person situation, which was a whole person and you know, situation, to the point that you just made. You know, educators know how to deal with the multiple learning styles of their students. Um, And, you know, experienced educators know they can read a room. They don't need everyone to be the person who's gone unmute Mm -hmm. and turned on their camera to be present, right? They can see the silent student. They can read the person who's sort of nodding off. Uh, They can relate to, you know, and they can sort of deliver the right education for the students. And that's what's happened is it's gotten flattened and fragmented. So to your point, we're now asking our homes, right? So I'm sure everybody's gone through all the stuff about DIY and people running out of lumber, but, um, or stores running out of lumber, right? I, that. I know. Spoiler paper, then lumber. So, <laughs> you know, everybody wanting the deck, everyone's super envious of the Californians who are able to, you know, talk to you from their back deck. But your point that the inequity is far greater now so every person's home space so you were mentioning your your children are in you know virtual school here in Toronto my kid's a high schooler and he's able to go to school Mm -hmm. um, once he goes every other day in the mornings right Mm -hmm. and we've got our fingers crossed here comes second wave you know you know how's this gonna go right right I can tell you anecdotally that this 25% engagement with half a class, they've completely retooled how they're teaching. The kids are behaving like community college kids. You know, they're doing only two courses. Yep. You would think that, you know, kids who are gonna do eight subjects for the whole year, suddenly being asked to do in compressed space of time, two yes. classes. How's, you know, again, first of all, the kids are adaptable, uh, at least on the face of things. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> 
know, that that engagement for even a short time has completely changed his motivation, right? Mm -hmm. And allowed me quiet right now in the house. So, so it just so happened, it worked out well. So, so what, I, what I'm trying to say is we are going to need these different modalities. Yes. By being present, by having engagement with his teachers, with his fellow classmates, he is able to take that energy back and deal with the synchronous Mm -hmm. you know, what he's going to do in the afternoon, right. he'll be doing what you and I are doing. And, um, you know, he stays engaged, he is effectively in student space, mm -hmm. even back at the house, yeah, which was not really possible when he was, you know, in the spring, when everybody right. was sort of left to their own devices, and effectively their own motivation. I mean, so motivation true. is a huge, huge it's part of learning, true. right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, no, I can completely appreciate that because you're right. It's very different that what was happening for our virtual school situation in the spring looked very different from now. Um, yeah. They just weren't ready for it. And I'm, I mean, we all have to appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, it's funny because I'm guessing that you were thinking the same thing I was thinking back then. I was like, this isn't, you know, like the schools are just realizing this now. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of what I thought yeah. I was like. Yeah, we probably should have been thinking about this before anyway, but <laughs> that's true. And and definitely, you know, the schools, I think, had an even harder time because, um, again, within K through 12, there's a far greater discussion that you need the students to be there. Of course, of so, course. Um, you know, the youngest of the youngest, even more so, um, there's a lot of real concerns around um, reading skills and math skills for, you know, K through Five, I would say, yes. um, particularly students who are learning to read. So there's a lot of discussion around, can you teach reading the way you and I are doing, yes. you know, for the youngest of the young. Um, and um, so, you know, universities that had distance education were able to use some of those skills. But right. again, back to that notion, because, you know, technology, again, has been made, making its way into the classroom for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So, um, when the pandemic hit, I was about four months into leading the design of a health sciences uh, building, a campus actually, that was bringing oh. together five schools of health sciences in the city of Ottawa. A very wow. exciting project. It was, you know, really fantastic from the standpoint of these five schools that were quite disparate and had been sort of spread out across the campus coming together for the first time. So you're going to hear this theme over and over, this notion of intersections, this idea that multidisciplinarity needs people to engage. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, again, it was health sciences. So it was very technical from the standpoint of the teaching as well as research requirements of individual professors, right? Suddenly you go online. I have 26 user groups that I'm talking to like this mm. to design a building, right? But a lot of what they're going to do with their students requires the hands-on piece. But then there are other elements, so which may be better delivered, you know, or not better right. or well delivered online. Sure. Right. So I think that's the place where most people are now. So where in the spring, everyone was just sort of reacting right. and trying to do what they needed to do. You definitely can see that over the summer, a lot of time has been invested in trying to improve it. And it's, you know, varying degrees of success. Right. For some right. people, they've simply translated the physical um, right. scenario, like the curriculum mm -hmm. and just try to shift it to virtual space, whereas others are trying to rethink. And I think with each semester, you it'll know, get, exactly. It, it, There's like little shifts it, to make. It, I totally agree. I mean, it's, it, it's you know, unfortunately we all would love to be able to just like flip that switch 
and yeah. it's what we envision. Um, but there are, you know, it, at least they're, you know, the try they're trying and, yeah, and they definitely reiterating from there. Yeah. So, so tell, tell me a little bit about, I mean, I've read the article, but for everyone listening in, um, tell us, like, give us the top layer of what are the pieces that you're really recommending? Cause I think it's just extremely fascinating. And the interesting thing about this, I know some people might be wondering, like, what does this even have to do with skills-based hiring and learning? This actually has a lot to do with it. And just as we described this sort of design technology combination, um, this is really like future of education. This is a huge view into that world. And I loved the recommendations you're making. So give us just that like rundown of what these recommendations are. Yeah. So, I mean, in a, in a sort of, yeah, that, that I could go on about this, but the simple point is that in a way, we've all been forced into rethinking the things that we've been doing for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And again, at the heart, what's happening is that, I mean, at this point, we're talking post-secondary, you know, what is the meaning of college? Why does anybody go to university? What is the promise of it? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've been talking a little bit about sort of mass education learning styles, but even for the individual, you know, what motivates a person? And for the longest time, we have used the degree, right, as, as a kind of frame for our adult lives. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you get introduced to people this way, and then we make certain inferences on the basis of their educational kind exactly. of qualifications. Mm-hmm. And again, we've been talking about, you know, back to your skills question, we've been talking about lifelong learning for a long time. Yeah. So for more than 10 years now, as an architect, as an architect, we've been talking about, you know, creating spaces that teach students how to learn, Mm -hmm. not what they're learning. I mean, obviously curriculum matters and knowledge matters and there's a kind of knowledge acquisition piece to to most uh, programs. But on the other hand, what we're saying is that the critical thinking, the creative problem solving aspect of it, the ability to work both independently as well as collaboratively, like those elements Mm -hmm. require that nurturing while you're in studenthood, right? Mm -hmm. And potentially, need reinforcement and development, you know, all the words, reskilling, upskilling, every kind of skilling, right? All the skilling. (laughs) In your life, right? So the notion that you're going to have this kind of four-year degree that's going to carry you through uh, a stable kind of, you know, career, you know, has been lost for a while. It's just at this moment, everybody's being forced to kind of understand what it means. I mean, I've talked to people who've talked about the death of campus, you know, forget the death of campus, the death of university, right? So are we all going to, you know, at the very extreme is the discussion around are people simply going to have a kind of a skills wallet, if you will, right? And then you just sort of keep on adding new currency into it, if you will, you know, based on, again, this next topic, which is jobs, you know, being able, you know, essentially, is university preparing you to be an adult, a global citizen, a thinking individual, or is university essentially preparing you for work and the ability to put food on the table and to sort of thrive, you know, as an engaged individual in the world, right? So two very different things. And for most people, both, right? For most people, they would tell you that, well, I needed to do both. And well, so I, you I might have that, to keep I definitely that. find that interesting because most people that I interact with, and again, this is not necessarily in my field. I mean, people that I tend to be serving. So people that are actually like consuming 
the education that I'm trying to help align or people that are on unemployment that are needing the technologies that we work on to help them find a job. The majority of people that I talk with, they see education and learning as a vehicle towards a successful life. Yeah. Um, they might not, and again, this is the majority. I'm not saying that there's a lot of people out there that don't believe in the, the basic foundation, but most of them are thinking like, how do I get into a better situation, help take care of my family? It's the basics. Yeah. And I think that's totally valid. And to be honest, again, the, the instability in the economy in most parts of the world you know, forces that even more to the forefront, right? So there's all kinds of other elements around, you know, the robots are going to take all our jobs and here comes AI and, you know, these movements, you know, manufacturing jobs moving away. So is it community college? So I'm I'm talking about a whole array of different things, which bring you back to the notion that an individual, you know, like I'm, we're probably, I'm probably in the last sort of range of people who went to say, I went to architecture school and I'm an architect. Right. You know, how many people are going to be able to say that, right? Mm-hmm. And so the weird thing in my profession is that a design education actually prepares people with a really large array of skills. Mm-hmm. And in fact, oddly, long before the pandemic, in the United States, the statistic runs that more than 50% of graduates from architecture school are not architects in the rest of their lives because they have a certain skill set that they can leverage. Now, there could be a whole other sort of discussion on the profession, but that's not the point I'm making. Right. The point I'm making is that foundation. Exactly. And then, again, because this is a profession, the notion that you have to have continuing ed in order to keep your licensure, for instance, Mm -hmm. you know, exists. So there are many different fields in which this notion of continuing to keep your skills relevant, your knowledge exactly. relevant, is an old idea. Exactly. Just, you know, it just has tended to mean that it's deepening your ability within what you're already doing. Exactly. Whereas now we're saying that, you know, maybe you're going to do something completely different and maybe you're going to sort of turn around and take on a sort of a different life. Um, and that for each of those intersections, Will you go back to school for an intensive period or will you, you know, what many right. adults are doing, continue to live and, you know, to work and to build up skills. So I think that this idea of studenthood being at a particular moment in one's mm-hmm. life is going to become a lifelong student, right? This yes. idea of being a lifelong student with definitely concentrated moments, right? So you will yeah. have these points in your life where, um, you know, to be very focused and very concentrated. But again, back to that, there's several students who work at the same time that they're studying. Yeah. So it is not black and white. It never has been. No. And possibly this hybrid learning will allow a greater choice. Mm-hmm. You know, so another thing we've talked about many times in architecture is, again, long before the pandemic, Yes. is that we're asking for space to not be either or. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example, you know, the constant discussion on the open office, is it good, bad, you know, (laughs) so the answer is often both and not either or, it's Mm -hmm. not that you need the enclosed office, and it's not that you need to be outside, it's more activity based, sometimes you need to concentrate, and sometimes you need to collaborate, and your job description might sort of lean one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true in many different scenarios. So true. 
you know, I think so. And I think it's true in learning too. And I think it also has to do with the individual, right? Because some people, like I was saying earlier with my daughter, some people focus in totally different ways. So some people find the collaborative environment to be great. And that's a great way for them to focus. And then others, that's just not like uniquely something that they're great at. I, I, I only say that and laugh because I am not like, I'm someone who needs the, the quiet to focus. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And, and that's the, 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 the thing is that within a single, you know, because we're talking about classrooms in a sense, there will be that range. But yeah. also to your point, as an individual, there'll be moments when you want to concentrate voices. Right. So there is no one size fits all, right? No. So around this, again, this notion of skills is that there are going to be skills that are foundational that you might have in these kind of compressed times in your lives. Like that's what one is what one is seeing about the future is this idea that many, many of us are going to have to understand that, you know, graduation is not the end. Right. 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 So I think it's on average now, like, and I can't even remember where I read this stat recently on average, we have 10 jobs throughout our like 10 different jobs. And that's just an average. I'm like, I'm thinking back and I'm like, man, I think I've already had the 10. I don't know. (laughs) Well, what's interesting is you mentioned 10 jobs, right? Mm -hmm. What if it's 10 professions? Right. So true. true. A whole whole other, you know, so you were talking about the paper that I wrote. Um, Different parts of the world have different attitudes about it, right? So Mm -hmm. I was mentioning to you that I grew up in Bombay in India and India has had for the longest time, a much more traditional sort of mindset, you know, people will walk in and say, I'm the engineer, I'm the teacher, I'm the whatever, right? And even in the United States, for sure, you can see, and Canada is no different, oh, yeah. this, you know, this framework, you you, you know, mm-hmm. is very much driven, you know, by, by a certain kind of frame that's put around a person. And then if you hear that they also do something else, we start getting a little bit surprised. And, you know, we appreciate yeah. that. Wow, oh, also a dancer. Oh, brilliant. You know, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, I can see how, you know, in, in Denmark, for instance, the notion that a person is going to have to retool frequently is completely accepted. Yes. And, uh, you know, of course, Denmark does everything brilliantly. So they have, <laughs> they do, honestly. <laughs> have the answer. So they, they allow a very simple mechanism for people to go back to school, often in a kind of community college um, mm-hmm. setup. There's mm-hmm. also not enormous pressure um, for people to be academically oriented. So that's the other thing that, it, you know, if you think about, again, now now a bit of a history situation where trades was, you know, determining, right. you know, to your right. point earlier about, you know, people just want the basics. What am I going to do? Who am I going to, you know, am I a carpenter? And we've created this kind of hierarchy, uh, yeah. a false hierarchy mm-hmm. um, in, in, in a way that I hope will be dismantled, you know? No, I completely, I know what you're saying. One of the things that really stood out to me in that article in particular was sort of, you made some references to sort of this like Cisco, this campus, you know, like MIT, like the Cisco campus at MIT. And then it was like the um, Cisco, the MIT campus at Cisco. Yes. And it just, it, it really, that's what sparked some thoughts in my mind related to what you're discussing is sort of this you know, because if you think that people have, again, when I said on average of 10 jobs, that does, you're right. It doesn't mean the same profession by any means. And this is just an average. I actually think that number is going to go higher, but you know, because like, I just think that's the way that life is, but then also we're in and out of learning. Now they, 
people might not even recognize this, right? Because like the way that I look at skills is that we're picking up skills, not only in formal education environments, but also in everything else. So today, here we are, this first live, I actually just did this for the first time on Tuesday, right? Like it's, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I just, but you know, that's it. I, I Googled some stuff, looked up a YouTube video. That's how I figured it out. Now, Now we might not say that that's learning in the sense of like something I'm going to sit down and put on my social media profile or my resume, but in actuality, we're learning a lot. I don't, I'm going to guess everyone here has looked up the most ridiculous thing on YouTube to do a household project. Cause that, you know, like the grill went out the other day and we were like, Oh, let's just find a YouTube video, see how to fix it. And that's learning too. And so throughout our life, we are learning whether or not it's formal or informal, we're moving through these different professions, through these different jobs. And what I found when you described that was that I was like, man, that those foundational skills, those baseline skills that you mentioned earlier as like an important function, Mm -hmm. that made me think of so many different ways that we pick up those baseline skills and those environments like this. And maybe you can elaborate on this, what you meant by MIT Cisco campus. Like I know what you mean, Yeah, but I was thinking about that. And I was like, these entrepreneurial, you know, that really lends toward the growth mindset, the critical Mm -hmm. thinking, the problem solving. And when you combine this like working and Mm -hmm. innovation style space, that got me really thinking. So maybe you can elaborate that on first, and then I can tell you a little bit about where my thoughts were coming from. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what, what you're referencing is the fact that Um, you know, a lot of engineering schools, for instance, will have, you know, uh, some sort of endowment that will come to them that will create a partnership. So, you know, certainly a lot of the elite universities will have, um, you know, external partnerships with engineering concerns or, um, you know, as I said, Cisco, for instance, has been quite active and they will create that kind of, it became really popular, right? Over the last 10 years, every elite school got a maker space, the hands-on, the learning. And, you know, it's, it's been quite dramatic, but now one is wondering whether instead of the uh, private organization or the research lab, you know, being embedded in the university campus, is it going to be the other way around, mm-hmm. right? And so is, is it going to be more like the, the educational mindset is actually getting inserted into the private concern, into private space? And then, and I think, again, back to the both end, I think they're both going to happen. Yes. I don't think it's going to be an either or. I also think it's going to be much more distributed. Um, there are many, many different um, campuses, particularly ones in urban centers that are creating these kind of innovation zones yeah. that are, you know, really kind of creating a space, but not just a physical space. It's an intellectual space. It's in a space of experience, you know, of experimentation, but yeah. also a space of mentorship. It's yeah. a space of we're all in this together because, you know, you have this kind of idea, you know, the classic, oh, I'm in my garage creating something. And on the other hand, I can think of one here in downtown Toronto um, where they've got it, you know, overlooking what's the kind of Times Square of Toronto, right? So right in the buzz of the city Mm -hmm. and this place where everybody's intersecting and they may not actually be working with each other, but because they are together trying to create something new, um, it gives them a different platform. And so I think that that relationship similarly again with university educations not being so straightforward so Mm -hmm. for instance when i was in university 
you had to do a, a semester of practical training okay. where you were sort of placed in the architect's office, oh, right? Yes, of course. As, as part of, grad, you know, for graduation, you actually yes. had a term. And there was always this discussion about whether that term should be at the end of your education or somewhere in between. Yes. And I honestly believe that when it was in between, it actually brought you back to the campus with a very different mindset, right? It's like you were describing with your son having this, yeah. you know, like I, I think of it that way because like you're bringing something, This is it's just a different learning environment. That's all I would describe it as. You're learning in a different way, in a very hands-on way. And we all know how important that is, which is why I love the concept of these maker spaces. But it, it reminded me of, I had a conversation with um, Houston Community College, uh, mm-hmm. not, I, I want to say it was earlier in the year. I feel like time is, you know, we don't yeah. even know what that is anymore, but whatever it was, um, they had a, created an innovation space, like an, an idea, again, very similar to what you're describing. Now, this is at a community college campus, yeah. okay? And granted, it's in an urban center, like the middle of Houston, right? But it's, it was a place where entrepreneurs can come. They also had different areas where um, they would teach courses like the 3D printing lab. Yes. But yes. then they also had spaces that were geared towards um, parents. And this is what I love about it. So they had children's spaces, almost like think of like those Lego playgrounds or whatever, but like spaces where they were hands-on and it was, again, this is just like Legos, Play-Doh, mm-hmm. um, 3D printing, like just mm-hmm. things that you can play with and learn. And they mingled spaces. Yeah. And when they described this, I found this really fascinating because of course they were saying they were learning. And I've heard teachers say this often, like they were learning just as much of interacting with adults yeah. as well as play, learning, interacting with children. Yeah. And I think the concept of this and, and the, the MITs of the world, the Stanfords of the world, like, of course, right? This is, but I, what I really think of is this community center that makes learning not like these highly intellectual people. And I really want to say that because I think that the world we're going towards, like, I don't want a certain class of people to think like, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. that you know, style. Um, I'm over here. I'm just like in construction. No, like life is not, it's a very fluid, the concept of learning, failing all of these, like the critical thinking skills that you have to build that are, I think our society in general, globally too, because collectively what's going on right now, Mm -hmm. more accepting of this. And that's Mm -hmm. when I thought of those two things together, your description, then me like bringing it to this concept that I heard at this community college, I was like, no, this is for everyone. And actually the cross mingling of people from various backgrounds actually leads to additional innovation. It's a, it's a huge plus. And if, I think if campuses start to rethink mm-hmm. how learning is happening and not make it so like hands off, yeah, it might be really fascinating what could happen and how they could reuse space Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, you've really, really hit upon something here that coalesces several different ideas. Um, one is breaking down this hierarchy that you've already hit upon, which, which I won't go on about. I think that is incredibly critical because, again, the inequities that are being stretched, and you know, there's there's a lot of talk. You know, we speak about the death of campus or the death of university, but we know that the elite universities are going to be fine. We mm-hmm. know that those, you know, those reputations are going to endure. It's everything in the middle 
Um, and, and to some degree, it's also the smallest ones that are incredibly community engaged that we think are going to do okay. It's everyone in the middle that's not differentiated, right? Mm -hmm. And so to your point, Another idea that this really coalesces with that's broader is the notion of city as campus. Yes. And so this idea that they come together and a third one, which is the 15 minute city. I don't know if you've come upon that. Oh, so it again, yet another thought that's been around for a really long time. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I moved from New York to Toronto, a very, yeah. very famous American writer, Jane Jacobs moved from the uh, Greenwich Village to the annex in Toronto, um, she was sort of um, leaving New York City. She, she had an enormous impact. She wrote this book called uh, Life and Death of the American City, which is incredible. And she talked about, you know, people, the life of a city, what makes a city vibrant, what makes community, et cetera. Yeah. And where I'm going with this is these ideas have been there forever. The notion that the neighborhood matters, the, ma the yes. notion that place creates community, intersection. Yeah all these things that you've talked about. So the 15 minute city is what in a sense we're all living right now, mm -hmm. right? So it, when the commute has been taken away, successful neighborhoods are those that you can go to the grocer and you can go and you know, and you're not completely relying on the online shopping experience, for instance, right? Um, right? I, I, I'm gonna forget the quote, but somebody who said, when I want to buy an envelope, I go to the store to buy the envelope. I believe it was Kurt Vonnegut actually, who talks about this, where he said, I don't want to buy, you know, I don't want to buy it online. And I don't want the box of a hundred or thousand. Right, I, just you know, I want to go talk to the person, speak to the person in line, etc. So if you yes. start talking about those intersections, is it the public library that gets reimagined? Right. Um, the American landscape is based upon the five minute walk to elementary school. I, you know, so if you think about that, you've got all these elementary schools that in the evening, you know, can create all kinds of different spaces Completely. for the community to come together. And when I was designing schools in New York, for instance, this was always a consideration. I love I mean, that. It, it was, you know, it was always a 16 hour school building. Completely. It was, it was I, not I mean, I, I've actually been to a ton of events at schools in New York City that were business related yeah. events and they and we were actually mingling with the students like we, that was the best part about it is because yeah. you got that fresh perspective. Definitely. And, and again, to your point, once again, about bringing together people who wouldn't otherwise cross paths, this at this moment, this is one of the biggest things that we're losing. Right. So mm -hmm. the, the grand university experience is often be, you know, suddenly being cheek by jowl or in the dorm hallway or, you know, right. in between um, being around people that you wouldn't otherwise be around. And then it's effectively accruing a sense of global citizenship, right? Through mm -hmm. that debate, through that discussion. And, and in the beginning, a lot of the immediate response to the pandemic and virtual education is everything that happens inside the class, right? So people mm -hmm. have spent a lot of time trying to say, how do I deliver philosophy online? And how do I, you know, how do I translate the interior design studio online? Yes. Or can I do teach chemical, you know, chemical engineering online? Um, but what about the spaces in between? Because as much learning is occurring in the spaces in between, you know, the kind of connective tissue of physical as well as interactive space, right? Mm -hmm. That is much harder much it's so hard you know now, to what are your thoughts about like because I read this wasn't at least I didn't notice it in the article but let me know if this was in your thoughts so like 
I have been really keeping an eye on lately this sort of shift from virtual reality VR to what's being called like XR, having actual experience. So I don't know if anyone over this time period has been to like a virtual event where they have an avatar. Yeah. Um, but I, I was chatting. There's like two things that I noticed lately. I know, I think it's like Arizona State maybe. Yeah. It's one of the, or yeah, University the Bears. Yeah. Right. They just announced something, but I was talking to a firm the other day that was just, you know, sharing like this new, um, updated version. Like it wasn't like the big Oculus glasses. It almost looked like just my glasses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, I wonder what you think about that because this puts on a, there's times that I think at least I'm having two thoughts about this and I can't really wrap my brain around it yet, but I was like, wow, Learn, you know, there's certain things that we consider only in-person learning experiences. And like, if you're training to be a surgeon, as we were talking about before, you know, you're like, I really want you to be in there doing it because I don't want you to be, you know, but then when you see like, I was actually experiencing someone build a house virtually. And I was like, it was like building a house. Like it was, I have never seen it was so realistic. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was starting to envision, like, could this actually turn into something that is so in fact real that you're practicing just the same way you would mm-hmm. in person. But then I also was thinking of that other side of things, like you just described this sense of community and talking to people and not yeah. being so yeah. isolated where, you know, I think you're right. The end both, you know, end both, mm-hmm. but, um, or, or whatever you said. I yeah. 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 Out the outcome. Yeah. No, this is, this is, this is an excellent point. You know, again, yes, definitely AR and VR has been around. And again, as an architect, I'm, I'm putting yes. those glasses on my, you know, my clients long, long before COVID, right. And allowing them to kind of experience a rendering and feel mm-hmm. like they're in this space, because often what we are doing in architecture is, asking people to make enormously large decisions on the basis of something that we just cannot demonstrate to them in full scale right yes even the most fantastic renderings will will still be flat and this sort of helps you so to your point I think this is the jury is still out on this Mm -hmm. in most cases Um, definitely because we're all looking for engagement um, there are certain scenarios where the unflattening, if I can call it, of the experience definitely allows for deeper engagement mm-hmm. and for exploration, let's say. So right. attention span is terribly important, right? So if you're allowing people to get deeper engaged, you're kind of getting something out of it. So for instance, um, my firm is involved uh, quite strongly in no- with NOMA, which is a the uh, the National Organization for Minority Architects in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and they do a design camp for for um, high school students, right? Mm-hmm. Very much hands-on. And they had to do it virtually, right? So they right. sent kids off and the students were dispersed and, you know, they still, they did in their homes what they would have done together, et cetera. But they still created these projects. And the culmination that was deeply enjoyed was that IBI sort of created this, this virtual exhibit that was a three-dimensional space and it was a more conventional way of displaying work and the students were there, there, and, right. you know, people were walking through as though in a gallery setting. And this yeah. created deep enthusiasm. It, it created a sense of camaraderie, of wondering, of discovery that was deeply engaging. Now, can that be extended to every situation? You know, one is hearing about conferences doing similar things. Right. Um, so again, instead of the flat website, because it's still all virtual. Right. Um, I think 
you know, we, we, we ask that question, you know, we create three-dimensional buildings, models. Right. So if, if my building model, like I mentioned the health sciences building, mm -hmm. would it make sense in fall of 2021 for that virtual space to then get engaged with technology like this? And would that somehow deepen the engagement? I think to some degree it might, but as we were saying earlier, the designing of that right is going to be the key right so mm -hmm. again the technology can bring a lot of tools to the table it's how those tools get used in order to actually deepen the engagement and for them to have the and i think that's going to take a little time for us to see you know how well that functions beyond the event because yes. i think for events it works great but if right. you're talking about a whole term um, then, then you're actually looking to see somebody's knowledge expand, or you know, you were saying about building something. You know, we're talking about dexterity, right? So, yes. within learning, there's sort of thinking, doing, feeling, and again, in the West, we're a very cognition-oriented, you know, cognitive acquisition, knowledge acquisition-based culture. We are, um, and so we know that more and more people talk about feeling and developing empathy and, you know, being able to sense. And I don't mean feeling uh, in a kind of touchy feely way, right. although that's incredibly important, but more in a sensorial way. Exactly. So, it's like instance, using all of your senses to yeah. see, to read, like you were saying earlier with the reading the room, right? It's exactly. A, what yeah. have we taken away? Right. I mean, maybe the not having smelly teenage, I don't know, maybe that's right. <laughs> no, but I know it's <laughs> the rest of it fascinating to me to like imagine even as you were describing this from an architecture standpoint and I'm not an architect I was like wow you you to to think about I know some people think about COVID as this like huge doom and gloom scenario I am just like my mind is blown at the possibilities that could we could be transforming to right now yes of course I want to think of both sides but just the thought that at some point in time, you as an architect may actually develop a completely virtual environment and space that people interact with virtually. Yeah. It's just I, totally, what? <laughs> that, you know, that's not far at all. That is not far at all. We've already held certain events. So what's funny is that right before the uh, COVID hit, our in physical space, you know, yeah. I have to tell you that in physical space, we had created something called the sandbox. Yeah. And it was a few floors away from where I worked, you know, and it was, yeah. it was called the sandbox, because it was going to bring together, um, you know, external partners and, and co consultants and others to develop new ideas. This was mm -hmm. the idea of it, you know, so it, it was a, a space of collaboration. And it had, you know, a large variety of spaces that you could do that in, right? Mm -hmm. And the day the, the WHO declared the pandemic, I was meant to go to Ottawa to do a workshop with 50 people. Wow. And I ended up having to stay in Toronto in the sandbox because it had better technology. Uh -huh. And I was interacting with people in Ottawa and we, you know, we re-ran the workshop virtually but at that time the rest of my participants were together in the room I was the only distant person well so that sandbox space is is architecturally and in sort of design wise a really mm -hmm. fun space we've recreated that as a virtual space and we've just started hosting events there so this that's what, so, so, cool. so so oh my gosh next time we yeah. should host your thing in the sandbox yes it, let's do it right? Because yes. what it's doing now, so we're, we're testing it. We've done two of them and we're going to do an environmental awareness one. So again, the idea is that you activate that virtual space 
and you try to create some of that, you know, that interaction that occurs before and after. Yes, because that's the in the hallways, right? That's like the most important part of when you're in person. So we're all experimenting, to be honest, you know, back to what you were saying, the best part of what could happen for most of us individually, um, as families, as communities, as institutions, you know, is if we can keep that experimental hat on, you know, if we can, can do that. Um, and if we're doing it at an individual level, peer to peer has become far more important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, and, and so I think that's, that's the exciting part of it um, is, is that it's causing each of us to kind of, you know, n- nobody is being as collaborative. Nobody's, you know, I don't know how I mean, each person has attended more webinars than ever in their life. <laughs> Right. It's like, I, it, and I, and I do agree, like we need to figure out a way around this part. Cause all of us, as we're, as we're sitting here on a live video session that, you know, we it's, but it is hard to get to everything. And there's so much now I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of innovation around this, but when I, it's interesting, like, I just want to say when you were just describing this whole new potential, you know, virtual, you know, event situation yeah. and more, I was also thinking about all of the new jobs, companies, everything else that's going to create all of the ways that people, as they might be doing physical space events right now, will have to retool themselves, learn new skills to be able to host a virtual event. Um, These are the types of things we talk about is this whole, like that lifelong learning process. It's because of us seeing these little micro innovations throughout time caused by various events, but sometimes it's just naturally happening. And it's just very fascinating to me, just this whole concept of, of what that could lead to, even that just one example, mm-hmm. it, the scale of that. Yeah. And, and then to your, you know, to, to your point about back to the sort of skills idea, we make a lot of assumptions on the basis of the frames that we're, you know, that mm-hmm. we're given or that we've taken on for ourselves. Right. So, um, you know, when you talk to me as an architect, you've already assumed there are certain skills that I have, and I will do the same for you, and we're all doing that for each other. And it really struck me, you know, recently, because of other reasons, people are starting to put under their name, you know, the he, she, you know, the... Yes, uh, I actually want, I know this seems crazy, but I actually wondered why that, is that just so that people understand? Yeah, it's the whole, uh, it's, it's, it's not assuming gender, right? So it's okay. a kind of an expression that's coming, you know, out, out of being able to say that I'm being explicit about it because it's actually, a, it actually comes from a place of accepting that there is no, it's not binary, yes. right? Yes. So that's where it's coming from. Okay. But it almost sort of struck me that, you know, are we gonna now start talking about skills? So when you talk about a resume, back to what we are saying about jobs and work and how we define ourselves and how we put ourselves into this two pager, right? Keep it to two pages. It's like, but I have more to say. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Once you do that, you know, I know like architects, for instance, will say previously, it would say skills and they would start listing the software that they were good at. And they would start putting, you know, I slowly started seeing these graphic demonstrations of skill level right? Where somebody would, it's like saying I'm fluent versus learning in a language, right? Mm -hmm. Now I'm wondering if people are going to be able to have an ability to um, demonstrate, or I guess it's not even demonstrate where you're just declaring it. It's declarative. I feel like it's this communication layer. 
that's yeah. why I really like the idea of these, what you called wallets earlier, yeah. um, you know, sort of these like records that could live with you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I tend to visually look at that as like a backpack that yeah. you carry throughout life. And so um, I'm a, just a very visual person. So I often have like a picture and a story that goes with something yeah. in my mind. Yeah. And I look at this as like this backpack. And as you go throughout your life, you add right. to your backpack. And, and the right now, again, technically speaking, we're only able to add to our backpack from formal education yes. And formal work experience. Yes. I really want to see a day when the rest of our life experiences collectively, everything in our life can somehow be added to this because I know, and I'm sure you think the same, like just being a mother, just yeah. that one thing. <laughs> I am God, such true. a better worker because of what I have to like, just learning to deal with different personality. Like if you have, and, and I have multiple children, I have three children to get if in the day when we had to get out of the house to get three children out of the house with clothes on that in and of itself like that level of like persuasion that you need to have an organization <laughs> no absolutely you know the question i have around this is again our ability to reliably measure right so where i was yes. saying was going with that is that are we now going to start saying my skills are you know, creative problem solving. Again, as an architect, of course, that's what I do every day. I don't, you know, I don't need to go um, and be taught that, right? Like right now, for instance, design thinking is having a moment, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody needs their design thinking certificate. But if you went through a design education, most likely, again, a decent design education, I suppose. And then certainly in your work life. So are we going to start describing, you know, critical thinking collaboration? So, but the question I have is, how, how do you expect a reliable measuring of those skills, right? Because again, yes. anecdotally, what you totally, just said. I can say I have critical thinking skills, exactly. but what does that mean? Exactly. I, do I you totally think there will be ways you. to do that? Because I think that's what the credentialing does, right? Like that's what the degree. Well, the credential you. right now. So here's the thing. This is why to me, and this is again, I'm not, I, don't, I can't promise that I'm right, but this is just what I'm seeing. So Right now, the credential and authenticating the credential says that you have been exposed to this. It doesn't, that school, however they assess, or that learning provider, because right, it's now it might not be a school, that learning provider may have some assessment that they perform. But now we have to say that what happens over here, an employer would be willing to say, great. But what's happening is an employer is saying, well, that I just now know that you have this certificate, this degree, whatever, um, I need to assess you again in coming in here because I need to know that if you, what you learned as critical thinking is the kind of critical thinking that I need in this environment. Yeah. So I actually think that right now it doesn't exist in the way that is actually useful because no one's trusting of either side, but I do strongly believe that we're going to get there. And Mm -hmm. it's just something, I think this is a huge part of this like learner and employment record to be successful Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. to be able to really get at proficiency levels and assessments of skills in a way that all parties can trust somehow. Um, And there's a lot of groups out there that are trying to tackle this right now. Um, I've had a few on to talk about it. And I'm just, this is a piece that I'm like super interested in right now because I think it's so important. 
Right. And and you're saying that these groups are effectively living outside the traditional boundary of either campus or work, right? You're saying that they're in yes, between. Does yes. it matter where they live? You know, are they more employed? Because I know, for instance, you know, based in, in many other countries where you actually have, you know, uh, particularly technology companies are actually creating schools on their campus because they're finding that they might have engineering grads or yes. business grads, um, you know, who have the degree, but may not, to your point, may not have yes. the specific skill set that they're looking for, right? Yeah. Um, I think that we're yeah. going to see a huge shift too. There's been, employers have really been taking on learning and development. Exactly. Maybe not necessarily in the best way for many yeah. of them, but yeah. I think that we're going to see this movement. I mean, we've always tried to, at least in my field, make these like you know, partnerships between educators um, mm -hmm. and employers, but it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult process. I think, you know, people need to be more open to that for sure, but a lot of employers are getting frustrated and just saying like, we're just going to do it on our own because we yeah. know what our people need. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think that there's some, you know, again, it's that and both situation yeah. where like, I yeah. think there has to, it, people just have to be a little bit more open-minded about how this is going to go. But I do have a very strong feeling that more employers are going to be looking at this because they want to move faster. They want to focus on certain things that, mm -hmm. you know, a, a school can't personalize specifically towards their situation. Right. And right. I understand that. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course they might be able to then create, you know, really deep assessments in the way that they're yeah. looking at people and understanding people and bringing them through. But I think the thing that I keep going back to, and the reason that I focus on this sort of like open aspect when it comes to these various layers of the ecosystem of hiring and learning mm -hmm. is truly because if I build an environment here at my, you know, at Cisco, and I'm like, this works beautifully at Cisco, but guess what? Now we have, again, on average, people moving in and out of 10 professions. And like we said, that's likely to increase. They're moving in and out of various learning, not only internally of what you're providing at Cisco, but whatever else they're doing throughout their life. So if I've created this beautiful environment in Cisco that speaks, you know, like it, it might, may not translate out for people movement. And yeah. so this is going to start to get difficult for a person because I need to be able to communicate to multiple things throughout my life. But for that organization, in terms of talent pipeline, yeah. if I can't keep people moving in and out without having a lot of work to translate what they are in and then what they are out. Right. Right. I think that's going to cause a lot of barriers. So that, that's my focus on helping people create a collective communication layer so yeah. that they, these people can move seamlessly because it's beneficial for people, beneficial for employers, beneficial mm -hmm. for educators. And isn't that the whole point? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's beautiful because you also just mentioned a, a word that I, I do write about and that I believe in, in at multiple levels, which is this notion of the ecosystem and this idea that if we are going to be lifelong learners, there's effectively an ecosystem of learning and doing. Yes. And I don't even know that they're two separate words anymore. I, right. I just don't have a nice word to, to put, shove them together, right? But, I know, we're going to have to think of something. Right? <laughs> but, to your, but to your point, we went back to the notion of the elite university there's also the elite workplace yes. and so I think once again the credentialing that comes from sort of name recognition and reputation precedence yes. is secure 
it's everybody else, you know, who needs to have those trustworthy, reliable, you know, measuring systems that other people can have. And, you know, back to your backpack analogy, I didn't speak about this, but it actually comes from refugee resettlement. Yes. So you're right. Because, 100%. Right. So you're, you're talking about people who have incredible skills and who, because of the label of refugee are seen in, in a kind of, you need me kind of manner rather than you are this whole yes. human being with all of these, you know, skills and experiences yeah. and, you know, abilities. And quite frankly, people that have gone through major crisis like that, the skills yeah. that they've built. <laughs> there, there you go. I mean, yeah, I there you go. Say. <laughs> there, there you go. That's true. Right. And that would, that, that, that would change your mindset. Completely. Um, I know that it's the same thing, even in Canada, where I live, right, where we have an immigration system that's completely based upon professional, you know, education and ability yes. to join the workforce. And yet, it gets very difficult, depending on the field you're in, to be able to get give credibility to people's experience in parts of the world that are very different from Canada, because mm -hmm. ed educators, I'm sorry, employers don't how know what to times, do. How many times has someone come into a country and they have to retake an entire medical degree. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, we, totally. can't, we totally. can't say that they're medical, you know, like, I mean, that's pretty, that's, that, I mean, I could understand if they maybe had to, again, take some sort of, um, be in an environment where they can prove that they yeah, know yeah, what yeah. they've learned. I can understand that, mm -hmm. but to actually just say, nope, this means nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, definitely. When, um, and 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 this is this is a huge one in in very particular you know fields that have particular skills yes. and abilities and in healthcare is a really sort of big one um, for that. Um, when I was in North Carolina and went to graduate school, even um, my skill that I needed to learn was typing. Mm. So it was really funny because we were completely paper based in India, and I knew that in American graduate school, I'm going to have to write a paper. That and so I actually, funny. that's what I had to do. And in the time that I had, I had only learned the top two lines of the typewriter. And in the last line, I had, well, goofed off. So <laughs> when I got to school, it was really funny because it was a different way of thinking, you see. And so I had, I would go to the computer lab and I mean, I, this is how poor I was at it, that I would actually write my entire paper by hand and I would go to the computer lab just to type it. Wow. In time for my, because I couldn't think and type at the same you time. Know, you know what's interesting though? And I, I, I would love to talk, like, I'm like, I'm going to throw this out there. I would love to talk to someone that just has always typed, you know, because I grew, I grew up in this like half, half and half, right? So when I was younger, yes, there was, we had a the super old Apple computer of the 80s, yeah. right? That we just, I mean, I don't even think we actually did anything on it. I'm not going to lie. It was there in the house and it was cool. It was kind of yellow. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then at, we were always like writing papers. But then there was at one point in high school where there was a shift where like, I guess it was like the floppy disk that made the yeah. big difference. Yeah. And because you could bring in your paper. Yeah. Um, but prior to that, we had a computer class in school and they would put, I like have a keyboard here. Um, yep. they would put a box over your hands and you had to, I just happened to be very competitive. You had to type like, and spell correctly and everything, whatever it was that they were asking you in 60 seconds. Right. And I, oh, for some reason, it was just the thing that made me want to do it. But as I got older, I realized this was that one year, I think it was sixth grade 
where we had to, and I mean, I learned the whole thing with my hands. Like people still say to me, like, I, how do you type so fast? Yeah. It is the most helpful thing now. And I look at my daughters, they don't have this in school, which is fascinating to me because everything is touch screen for them. Yeah, no, so typing, it's, it is, they, they it is interesting they what you say, because I went on to say that the fact that I did my graduate thesis using only computer software, I learned all the software that I needed to learn and it was architecture school. So the presentation matters, right? So it was desktop publishing, Yes. you know, just figuring out how to do all that. So in that two-year course, I would say, you know, back to your point about skills, the fact that I had gone from being totally paper-based to being able to put out a graduate thesis that was decent yeah. in that way was an enormous skill for me, right? Um, and, and so you can definitely see that on the flip side about hands-on, I insist that people draw. I, when I'm working with a group, the, the manner in which the body thinks while drawing the space and time, because, you know, again, my profession is space and time related, right? So the way that you describe and sense space and the way you think that what, what triggers in your brain allow There's you to something. draw a sketch versus move a cursor around. That's what I was going to say. Do you want, the, do you make them draw on paper or can yes, you draw yes. Oh gosh, device? the other drawing is not drawing, right? This is the point. That, well, that's why I asked because yeah. like you could No, you're right. You're right. And a device and yeah. I can, because I have one that I do it all the time where I'll like do a mock-up, I'll draw it so that I can send it off to an engineer. No, I think it's, it's, in, it's a very different mind space that you're using. Interesting. So, okay. so you know, it's also being able to draw three-dimensional space. So yes. when I'm in meet, again, this is, this is one of the most frustrating thing. I mentioned my 26 user groups earlier on. Yes. The fact that I cannot draw them. So I end up, oh, I've got my scribbly here too. So, so I start drawing them my response and holding it up. Then I photograph it and I send it in the chat yes. bar because um, I haven't gone and bought myself a stylus yet. I mean, this is just mine. This is so minor. I just haven't done it because I like the pencil. So I'll sit there, I'll draw it, I'll use my colors I and then I'll you. send it off. And it's just, it's my way of communicating with, with you know the people that I'm working with, but it's also my way of thinking. And that's yes. what I meant earlier that when I was tight, yes. I didn't know how to think and type. Um, but you, also, you know what it is when yeah. you're learning a new skill, you're so focused yeah. on that piece. If you don't know how to type, you're so focused on that, that your mind yeah. like to then try to have your mind think of what you want to write yeah. and what you're, it's a total, yeah. but then once you probably mastered that skill yeah. now, you then, could then probably, it's second nature. Yeah. yeah. Because I think that's how, you know, to bring it back to what we were saying about hybrid learning, virtual learning at this moment the technology is overriding the education at yes. this moment. So if people are having difficulty with technology, yes. they're not, but this is what I say. And this is an article that I wrote early on when this happened as well with my yeah. daughter. And it was about my kids going into virtual school and sort of these resilient skills they learned. So you're right. right. I was concerned that I was like, her reading is probably not getting better right now. I don't think they're teaching anything new in math, but guess what she learned? how to use a device, yeah. how to get on Zoom yeah. meetings, how yeah. to she how to actually structure her own day, create oh, that's a, a huge calendar, oh, how that's a to huge get her lunch ready. Cause I, me, me and her father, you know, we're working. Yeah. How to learn how to be with, you know, her sister outside for the rest of the day with us like unavailable. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? You're right. There are things that if I focused on those things that she 
was not excel, like that just, you know, we wanted, it's important, right? We want those things. But then I was like, if you looked at it the other way, yeah. you're right. It's not perfect, but she learned all these other new things that will 100%. still help her be very successful in life. Hundred, And especially if she learned time management, I mean, mm-hmm. my God, if that's not an enormous and self-motivation, right? Like exactly. I mean, exactly. That's, that's just enormous. Um, yeah. I think, I think that's what it is, right? If we're able to pay attention to, you know, the elements of the, the surprising things that we're all kind of doing. And if we can also give ourselves a break, I think both have to happen, right? So this is a moment of great ambition. And mm-hmm. I think that those people who are ambitious and are tinkering, I mean, this, this design research that I did around the campus, I did it over and above, for instance, the, uh, the, 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 the building that I was designing, that was beyond, right? But because I was completely engaged with my project and off I was going and, you know, being able to talk to people around the world about their personal experiences was motivating in a way that was remarkable. Right. So I think that's really brilliant, but then you also need the pause points. And I think that's the other part where you were mentioning a bit earlier that we're losing track of time. I mean, again, God willing, we will all be past this pandemic and we won't be in such an extreme situation, but I think that what is coming is a kind of hybridization, yes. um, particularly, obviously, particularly in those parts of the world where technology access exists, right? Because yes. the other huge thing that's coming out is the notion of the, inter, you know, the internet and access to, uh, to the internet, very easy access being sort of like electricity, right? Like it should mm-hmm. be a basic right, you know, this, and certainly parts of the world can, con, you know, can contemplate it. Yeah. Um, in many other parts of the world, uh, the mobile phone is more important, right? So there's been phone-based education because you can't rely, right? I mean, honestly, even in the US, there are areas that we would call like internet dead zones, yeah, right? but yeah. um, they they typically have mobile access. Yeah, yeah. And you will see that even in like, you know, you know, vulnerable, what, you know, generally vulnerable populations, like yeah. most often, and, and it's refugees too, right? Like most often they'll have no paperwork, they, but they'll have a mobile. 100%. Yeah, yes. no, 100%. I spoke to somebody who is right now piloting a program uh, with the Rohingya Muslims, um, the uh, people in um, Bangladesh at the refugee, the giant, uh, you know, yes. just to deliver yeah. very basic education. But what's interesting is that, again, back to your skills question, they are giving them the platform to not be disengaged from learning. So that's what I find really interesting. It's not the curriculum. It's the ability to engage, to think, to stay in that space of learning. So they're keeping them education ready, keeping them engaged socially, emotionally, kind of, um, you know, keeping them engaged, but also growing those aspects of themselves so that when the school begins, so they're not trying to pretend that they're delivering curriculum, which I thought was really, really interesting that, um, I find that really interesting. And that's like, that was my approach. I mean, in the spring, that was that at, at first I, I was for like a few weeks, I was, you know, very concerned, but then once it, everything sort of settled and we were like, okay, this isn't just like happening for a few weeks, this is real. Um, then I was like, if I, I'm going to drive myself crazy and all of these children crazy, if we just keep focusing on what it is that they're not learning. Yeah, um, yeah. And because, but that's why I say, even you're saying they're learning ready. I'm like, but that is, those are such important aspects of life. hundred percent. That, that need to be, 
practice and learned throughout time, I, I would say that actually they're probably setting up that group of people to be way more successful in life. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be able to calibrate, I mean, everyone is talking, you know, we haven't discussed it that much, but it's been implied a little bit is this whole notion about, you know, mental health and wellness. And that has now come back into the discussion in a way that, you know, it's always been around in the fringes. But because we're all sort of really forced into a space where, you know, work and life and everything is colliding. And as you said, I have no idea when the day begins and when it ends and this kind of thing. So then you have to personally generate it. You have to family generate it, you know, community generate it. So I think that in a way um, it gives agency, right, at at many different levels, but we can only have it if we're replenishing in some way, right? So you have to kind of replenish the well. It's like school, right? It's not like we can just go to school for that one period of time. It's the same thing. I'm so glad that it's becoming more aware. And this is the first time that collectively we're all experiencing something similar. And that's why I feel like this awareness at this time is different than it has been in past times. I hope so. I I hope hope so so. too. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely hope so. Jay, we are like, I mean, we could talk forever. I love this, but, <laughs> but we, we should probably wrap up. So tell, I'll, I'll give you one last um, moment here though, if there is anything else that you'd like to share as sort of parting thoughts or words, um, and then I'll go ahead and wrap us up. Yeah, for sure. I think what I want to say is that when the pandemic hit and we were all sort of collectively sort of switched to sort of separated you know, online universes, let's say, right? And whether it be education or life in general, we took it to be a sprint, you know, for many people, we needed to see an end in order to get through this. And I think what's turned out is that we're discovering it's a bit of a marathon. And Mm -hmm. so if we can take the notion and if we can learn from how marathon Uh, runners train that's almost what we need of ourselves Mm -hmm. and so again I'm going to keep saying it at all levels of ourselves of our families of our communities you have to kind of find you have to kind of both understand that this is for the long haul so there's a very different skill set that's required Mm -hmm. for the long haul but also those moments of sort of replenishing you know that are required Mm -hmm. the fact that there are many many there are moments of a burst of energy there's moments of you know just coasting so I think that that is required of us at this moment and if we're able to um, create the ability to engage again either because of our own agencies our peer-to-peer or our colleagues or our teachers I think we're going to get to a different place. I really love that analogy, Jay. Um, And I'm like thinking of that endurance building that happens because the other thing about marathon uh, runners in particular is that you don't just all of a sudden run 26, whatever miles you build up to that. So Mm -hmm. I think we have to give ourselves grace and our family and other people grace throughout this process as we're building up our endurance. (laughs) Yes. And hopefully we'll be resilient in ways we couldn't have imagined. Right. It's so true. It's so true. Thank you so much, Jay, for mentioning that. And then for anyone who'd like more information about IBI group, they are at ibigroup.com. And you can also find Jay on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Um, she's also has, I, I'm going to throw out your Instagram account, Jay, because I looked at it. And for anyone who's super interested in the, the architecture side of things, she's at J underscore urban lens on Instagram. I loved it. 
Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> but this I is really, my, my beauty. It's my everyday beauty account. It's keeping it's me going. Gorgeous. It's gorgeous. <laughs> It'll like keep me positive. Um, so no, thank you. You guys check her out. Um, she's doing some wonderful things. And then I want to thank everybody for listening in to the first live. Let's talk about skills, baby. This was a lot of fun. Looking forward to doing this. I would love to get some feedback. You know, the, the although we're on the YouTube channel live right now, this will also be pushed over to the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. And you can find me at Kelly Ryan Bailey on all the socials. Let me know what you guys think. Jay, thank you again. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>